Welcome to a special Lever Time bonus segment. I'm Jerry G. Kangmare, I'm a producer at The Lever, and this is a special little bonus for subscribers to the premium feed, uh, where I talk to some of the reporters at The Lever to um, banter about recent news. And the big news today that we're looking at is the outcome of the Chicago's mayor race election. And with me right now, I have reporters, Matthew Cunningham-Cook. Hey, Matthew. Hey, Jared. And reporter Re- Rebecca Burns. Rebecca, you, uh, you you were up a little late, right? <laughs> uh, you, you didn't cover the election, but uh, you were there at uh, the yeah. Brandon Johnson celebration. Yeah, I wanted to be there for a pretty historic moment. So yeah, I'm based in Chicago. I've lived here for about 12 years. I was not feeling great at the start of uh, the day yesterday, just about the the prospect of, of having Paul Vallis as our mayor. Um, yeah, something pretty incredible happened. I've lived in the city since uh, 2011, so right before the first Chicago teachers union strike. Um, and this really feels like the culmination of, of something um, pretty interesting and pretty significant that's that's been happening in yeah, Chicago in the last 10 yeah, years. Yeah. And I have to admit that when we were thinking about doing this um, recording yesterday, I was thinking in my mind that we would be talking about Brandon Johnson's defeat and Paul Vallis's inevitable mm-hmm. win. And I don't know why I had that in my mind because it has been such a close race, but the the narrative of the um, anti-crime, um, you know, pro-police uh, candidate versus the progressive, for some reason in my mind, I was like, it was inevitable that the, that the pro- police candidate would win. Um, But Matthew, kind of set the uh, table for us a little bit for people that aren't familiar with uh, the race there in Chicago. Who were these two candidates? And then we can talk about why um, it was surprising that Brandon Johnson pulled this off. Yeah. uh, So like Rebecca, I woke up uh, yesterday morning with a lot of malaise. Uh, It did seem like the momentum was behind Paul Vallis, uh, who uh, scored significantly higher in the February primary. It's a nonpartisan race. So in the February primary, Paul Vallis got 33% of the vote and Brandon Johnson, the progressive, got 20% of the vote. Uh, And then after Vallis scored this uh, initial uh, when, uh, you know, and, and just to step back for a sec, the big surprise was that the incumbent mayor, Lori Lightfoot, didn't make it into the runoffs. And that was, I remember, the big shocker at that time. It wasn't too much of a shocker, I, as I think Rebecca would <laughs> kind of agree. I mean, it was it was a bit surprising for sure. Um, but Lightfoot was was really widely hated by basically everybody. Yeah. Uh, so she had. You know, she had ran as kind of this transpartisan mm-hmm. candidate in 2019 who would kind of clean up the city and as kind of an anti-corruption um, crusader. And then early on in her term, you know, she did um, kind of forge connections with, with you know, so-called good government types like like Scott Wagesback, a member of the city council, um, who kind of long has had respect from progressives on kind of ethics issues. And she appointed him to 
to be uh, the head of the finance committee, the the top um, uh, uh, her top ally, effectively on the city council. Um, but then shortly thereafter, you know, she I mean, she had a, a very autocratic, aggressive sure. kind of style, um, and uh, and and really didn't kind of make any effort to kind of get along with with anybody. Uh, and so it wasn't too much of a surprise that she didn't make it, uh, to the runoff. Um, you know, what was a surprise, I, I guess, was how well Vallis kind of did, <laughs> you know, in the, in the, in the initial primary, you know, p- folks thought he definitely mm-hmm. did a few points better than kind of any projection, uh, of the race, uh, showed leading up into it. So. And, and that's really interesting though, because, Nationally, when you look at uh, cities, urban liberal cities, the big narrative is that people are so unhappy about crime, 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 gangs, guns, homelessness. This is the theme in every single city. And when um, what emerged in this runoff was a really interesting dichotomy between the, um, you know, anti-crime candidate and then a very, very progressive candidate and, um, when that was really set up, I think it, it it was a very clear. It seemed to me to be a pretty clear choice between two different visions of um, a mayor and what voters wanted. Is that is that kind of a true narrative, or is it more complicated than that in a city like Chicago? So I think it's fair to say that you know crime and and specifically gun violence certainly was um, a key issue in this race. Um, but what we really got was just two candidates with very different ways of, of framing the issue and the solutions. Um, you know, so to the disappointment of um, some, uh, you know, left-leaning groups and voters, Brandon Johnson did sort of um, back away from, you know, the slogan and, and the movement of, of defunding the police. Um, you know, he, he talked about his plans to hire more, more detectives. Um, but what he did talk about um, sort of as, as a central part of his approach to addressing violence and, and which has been a really popular proposal here in Chicago um, is to, you know, invest in, in historically disinvested communities um, to uh, start a new um, non-police crisis intervention program that would address, um, you know, mental health and nonviolent issues and, and relieve pressure on the 911 system. Um, you know, he talked about generational poverty. He talked about school closings, and that's something that he's intimately familiar with as as a former teacher and a Chicago Teachers Union organizer. Um, So I think, you know, the narrative that we've gotten coming out of mayoral elections like New York and like the Chesa Boudin recall, the the prosecutor recall in San Francisco is that there's like a, you know, uh, a, a a backlash against progressives on crime, um, and I'm I'm going to insist that Chicago shows us, um, you know, the reality is much more complicated. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, and I think that the other kind of component is just the way in which the city's social movements have really been able to kind of articulate uh, an explanation behind rising crime rates. You know, which was, you know, really. Rahm Emanuel's decision back in 2013 to close 50 schools in historically underserved neighborhoods. And then I believe, Rebecca can correct me here, I believe the year before his decision to close several mental health uh, centers um, in the city. Uh, And so, 
that was, you know, that was told to the public time and time and time again. And there really is no, as far as I can tell, you know, there's not really kind of another place besides Chicago where that kind of repetitive kind of argument that this is the cause um, uh, was, was played out by the city's social movements. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think that really more than anything else, that, that having that narrative in the face of a corporate media that is, you know, very right wing uh, in Chicago, like most places in the face of, you know, very powerful entrenched democratic party machine in the face of uh, very conservative unions and the building trades um, that, you know, the, between the teachers union and this movement that emerged around mental health, uh, really able to kind of present a, a compelling counter narrative that, that, that I think worked. It, it convinced a, a majority of voters. And how close was it actually last night? Do we, do we have the actual tally for how much Johnson won by? Yeah. So we're still waiting for, for mail-in ballots, you know, um, uh, those ballots are, you know, according to every pre-election election analysis and what we saw in the first round are expected to swing Johnson. So I think we ended the night last night with Johnson up about 17,000 votes and, and probably that lead will grow. So there, there were moments last night where there was like a 400 vote margin. Uh, you know, Chicago is in fact a rather large city. So we were like, how is this sure, happening? Sure. Um, but it's, it's not going to be actually as close as I expected, honestly. And and I think that's one of the surprising things. I mean, we knew that it, you know, they were running pretty close, and and that's why people were watching this race so um, so adamantly. But um, we can talk about circle back to um, a little bit more about what we expect out of Brandon Johnson and his administration. But with Paul Vallis, Matthew, you had written a piece last week. Um, titled In the Chicago's Mayor's Race, Plutocrats Spend Big Against New Taxes. And I'll include a uh, link in the uh, episode notes. But uh, tell us a little bit about what you uncovered and found about Paul Vallis and his background um, working at the uh, as a school administrator, correct? Yeah, I mean, there. yeah, I wrote two stories. I, I wrote an earlier story as well about um, Paul Vallis's Wall Street deals um, when he was the CEO of Chicago Public Schools. Um, yeah, I mean, in the first story, you know, we revealed that he had overseen this uh, complex bond issue of this uh, exotic form of financing called capital appreciation bonds, which basically allow uh, cities and municipalities to defer paying interest for a period of time, which then allows the bondholders to capitalize the interest, which is, you know, it's a, a huge benefit to them and ended up costing uh, the city schools over a billion dollars in additional interest. And that story was kind of interesting, you know, and I, I think we played a, a nice little role in the campaign because it, it came, I believe, two days before this really ridiculous hit piece against Brand- Brandon Johnson, where he had uh, been late paying his water bills. Um, and, you know, it was, it really, and, you know, the reporters from the Chicago Tribune and the Chicago Sun-Times, the city's two major na- newspapers and, and TV reporters really glommed onto 
uh, onto this this reporting about Brandon John's late fees and and we were we were able to kind of say you know it seems like it's a bigger problem that uh, Paul Vallis uh, was able to help Wall Street extract over a billion dollars from the city's desperately underfunded school system uh, than the fact that Brandon Johnson was late paying his water bills. Sure, um, it doesn't exactly seem like a equivalency there that they were trying to create where one was uh, dealing with millions of dollars and the other one is a you know a pretty typical late bill payment. Yep. Yeah, there was a great moment last night soon after Johnson took the stage where he said, I want to thank anybody who's ever been on a pay- payment plan. Um, and the room just sort of exploded because, you know, Chicago, like many cities, uh, funds itself, you know, not through taxes on on wealthy people, but in, in large part um, through regressive property taxes and just punishing uh, fines and fees on, on working class people. And do you think it was things like that, like his, uh, you know, uh, Vallis's connection to uh, dealing with these types of financial instruments with the public schools and charter schools, and then also, um, you know, his support by the police union that ultimately turned off the segment of voters that he needed. I mean, what was it that um, that that really swayed people? Was it a distaste of Vallis, or was it uh, an embrace of? what Johnson was representing? I think both. I mean, remember, Johnson ran, you know, a lot of people my age remember, uh, sorry, remember Vallis uh, as the school chief when they were kids. Um, He also has been sort of a perennial candidate. He ran four years ago and did not make the runoff. Um, So there are a lot of things about him that are sort of a known and and disliked quantity. (laughs) Um, He's he's not especially relatable. He's not an especially strong speaker. He doesn't sort of had Matthew, I think he pointed this out, like the killer instinct of, of Rahm Emanuel. Um, or or dailies. Um, but yeah, I mean, Brandon Johnson also is someone who is, you know, also a, a known and liked quantity to a large swath of the city's social movements um, and uh, had a really impressive field operation, you know, that's the culmination of a lot of really important um, labor and, and community struggles here. Really, it's not exaggerating to say for, for the last 10 years. Um, so I think just having, you know, people who are uh, not paid canvassers out there every day um, really helped with turnout coming through yesterday um, in a strong way. Youth turnout was way up. Um, Vallis had strong strong turnout in sort of, you know, majority white conservative areas of the city. Um, but Johnson just overwhelmingly carried, um, you know, majority black wards, um, progressive um, white and Latinx areas um, and, and, and youth voters. So Brandon Johnson, he's going to be Chicago's next next mayor. Is it fair to say that he is the most liberal mayor that um, Chicago has elected to date? Well, there are a lot of comparisons that, uh, you know, I think are, are strategic, but also probably fair being made between Brandon Johnson and Harold Washington, Chicago's first ever black mayor in the 80s, um, gotcha. who faced, um, you know, enormous... Uh, right-wing opposition and, and opposition from um, from from white city council members, um, and and also died prematurely. So I think there's there's sort of a feeling here that um, 
you know, sort of a historic opportunity was missed in the 80s to find out what Chicago could be when you had a mayor who was, you know, committed to public education, um, committed to taking steps towards, you know, uh, reversing some of some of the historic segregation that that still very much shapes Chicago, um, and uh, now you know we'll, we'll see. We have a, a coalition that, um, in a lot of important ways, looks similar to the one that put this other historic figure in office in the '80s. Um, and you know, it's 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 a time to see um, how how far that coalition can push. And and for a city like Chicago, a lot of problems, right? Like Chicago has a lot of challenges that it's facing right now. And a lot of that is going to be um, really put on Brandon Johnson's shoulders to fix. And and what I worry about is that, uh, you know, he will be looked at nationally as a, um, you know, a figure or even a scapegoat to say, hey, here's how, here's what happens when you elect a, uh, a progressive more left-leaning mayor. There's, you know, it's interesting, you know, I mean, speaking of killer instincts, I mean, Harold Washington, I would say, had much more of a killer instinct than than Brandon Johnson, you know, kind of does. He's He was kind of steeped in the machine and, you know, but then went to war with it. Um, uh, then on the flip side, though, you know, Brandon Johnson is just much more, again, comes out of the main union that's been driving mm-hmm the city's social movements. And so while, you know, he might be a bit more naive about kind of what it takes to navigate City Hall than Harold Washington was, he's definitely much less naive, I think, than Harold Washington was about what it would take to pressure City Hall and what would happen, what what needs to happen outside of, of City Hall, which I think is an important distinction. I think the other thing is is just that the legislature and the governor, you know, are far less kind of hostile uh, to whatever, and the city council, uh, all of the above, are far, far less hostile to what um, the, the the prosecutors, you know, they're all less hostile to what Brandon Johnson is trying to accomplish than than what Harold Washington was. You know, famously, the the state's attorney, well. Harold Washington was mayor, was Richard Daley, who was, you know, the son of the longtime far right wing mayor and then later became mayor himself for decades. Um, and so I, I, all of that kind of leads me to kind of be more hopeful, I would say, about what what Brandon Johnson is going to be able to accomplish um, this go around than kind of the 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 constant high stakes battles uh, that really characterized uh, Harold Washington's four years in office. And what yeah, about you, and, Rebecca? You know, are you hope Are you hopeful, Rebecca? <laughs> Am I hopeful? Well, I think what you just said, uh, Jared, you know, about whether Brandon Johnson will be sort of turned into, uh, you know, a figurehead for for what's wrong with Democrats at every turn. Um, we can basically count on that happening. You know, I think starting today, uh, but before he takes office, you know, every Every carjacking that happens in the city, you know, everything will every sort shooting, of, every right, sort of right, of like gang violence. Yes, that's absolutely going to happen. And I think what Matthew just mentioned of sort of the coalition that's outside of City Hall that's focused on, um, you know, putting pressure to both pass legislation to further empower, you know, the city's union. That is unions. That's going to be really key um, to 
you know, whether he can get, get the things done, um, that, uh, that, you know, not just he, but again, um, the city is sort of most important and progressive unions have been, um, talking about and organizing around really for the last decade. All right, great. Well, we are going to go ahead and leave it there. Matthew and Rebecca, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah.